I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, with a look at small spaces and maximum style, because it's time to start looking at exploring space again, don't you think? That's right. We are going to look forward at making small spaces popular again. Maybe it was the nook under the stairs that has been a classroom for the past two years, or that breakfast area slash yoga studio slash office. How can we make those spaces well-designed and functional again, as in the original function that didn't include three slashes and four functions? Let's get back to singularly stunning design in the multi-purpose space with a listen to a conversation from 2021 via Zoom, of course, and another exploration into small space, big style, as the latest installment of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. A little history first. In 2012, I produced my first design house, a 1,400 square foot penthouse condo in the heart of Hollywood. Eight designers and some incredible design. I have always had a fondness for small spaces because Follow me here. Big spaces and big budgets are great. But it is, I would argue, as a not designer, I am not a designer, I would call it a more simple endeavor. Not easy, but far more simple. Small spaces take more work, take more time, research, planning, and attention to detail. Again, I'm not a designer. But I have had enough time in conversation with world-class design talent to know a few things. And this idea is one. So I gathered a group of uber-talented creatives to chat with me about this as part of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. And here's how I describe the conversation to them. Design tastes change over time. Color palette, new materials, and lifestyle trends all affect the finished product. What never changes are the limitations placed on creatives by the space available in which to work, design, in a smaller footprint. It presents creatives with unique challenges and often forces certain choices, and at the same time offers designers an opportunity to test their mettle. This challenge can change the way we think about design, encourage experimentation, and open up to new possibilities. By the way, it should be of note that I've been having this small space, big style conversation for years, well in advance of the pandemic. So I thought it was really appropriate that we were having this conversation during the pandemic, but discussing ideas that have been around for a very long time. The panelists include designer Elizabeth Drake, architect Anthony Laney, and designer Roxanne Packham. We're talking about space and making that space enjoyable once more. And we'll get to that right after this. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. Thank you all for, for joining us for this. This is part of the uh, Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. We are talking to the best in the business. 
about different issues as they affect design and architecture today. Today, um, so this is one of my favorite topics, small space, big style. And in 2012, I produced my first ever design house called Small Space, Big Style. It was a penthouse of 1400 square feet on two levels. And we had, you know, eight designers working in a very compact space. And I learned some things about luxury and space and design and potential. And I realized that there is, there is a true value and it's, it's not to take away from big budgets and big spaces, but designers have to be more creative. You have to be more nimble. You have to be more flexible with a small space. So that being said, we're, we're kind of talking about that. And we're also talking about how I think it's fair to say in the last year, every square inch of space, residential for sure, has been taxed to its furthest limits. And so, we're, you know, let's talk about that too. So with that, I've got a, an absolutely amazing group of professionals here, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna ask you to sort of introduce yourselves. And Elizabeth, I will start with you. Well, on the spot, um, I come to you all by way of a suburb of uh, Chicago, Winneka, over on the lake, Lake Michigan. And I come to interior design by way of um, classical bachelor of fine arts, painting, graphic design, drawing backgrounds, and phone calls is the short version. And I've been in the business probably 20 plus years and um, still loving it. Outstanding. Roxanne? Uh, I have been, I'm Roxanne Packham, and I uh, live in Southern California, and I've been doing this, I guess, 22 years, and I do it because I love it, and I love making a home for people. I love to design any kind of home that my client wants, um, maybe with the small exception of Victorian, but um, <laughs> I love I love working with clients, and my first job was only uh, 900 square feet for a family of four who had just recently taken in one of the in-laws. And I'm telling you <laughs> that I had to use every ounce of creativity in me to do that many people in 900 square feet. So nice to very, be here. <laughs> very cool. Anthony. Happy to be here, Josh. My name is Anthony Laney. I'm a licensed architect. I lead a team of 15 architects and designers. Our firm is Laney LA. I launched it seven years ago with my wife, Krista, and we're here in Hermosa Beach. We specialize in high-end luxury homes, but because many of them are right on the beach, um, the lots are actually very small. And so this is a topic that is very important to me. Um, because every now and then we get the giant lots and those are fun, but most often these are very tight, quote unquote, shoebox sand section lots where every inch matters. And so um, this is right up our alley. Perfect. So with that, I, I kind of want to jump off in, in, in so far as to say the idea of what space is and means specifically in, in, you know, as we talk about residential, specifically as it relates to the last year um, since March 2020, I'm curious. And and Roxanne, I'm going to throw this to to you first. And and again, conversation, not a Q and A. So please, everyone, jump in as you see fit. I'm curious, how has the past 12 months changed the way you approach space space planning? and design overall? I think in some ways it hasn't changed it at all. I basically work with my clients in exactly the same way. Um, and uh, at the beginning, of course, um, it meant a, not anything in person, but I don't, I don't really think it has changed the way I think about it, except for the fact that um, everything has to have several purposes. Uh, but a lot of my clients worked out of their homes and um, had an office where they worked. So in that in that regard, it hasn't changed. Um, I, I can think of a few ways it's changed, but but um, the way I I, I approach it ha is exactly the same as always. Elizabeth, thoughts? <laughs> 
uh, I, I agree with um, that thought. Um, I think what has changed is clients are more receptive to hearing about multi-layering of purpose in a room. Um, I've always been, for example, a proponent of every room needs a place to land with a laptop or an iPad. I don't care how small it is, but somebody's gonna come over and they're gonna be walking around wondering where they could land. And now they're more receptive to that. They, oh, I get what you're talking about. And, I, and that's really quite nice to be able to talk about this overlapping of function in a space. Anthony, you know, you you mentioned that in Hermosa, you have you have small footprints and, and you do. And I've, you know, we've talked before you and I about some of the work that you do. I don't know any other architect that I've spoken with who has who has done more with limited space th than you. And I'm curious if if that's the approach that you go in with is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to envision how you view space planning when you first go in, because you're trying to engage as much luxury as you possibly can in these in these footprints and i'm and i'm curious how you approach it and you know as we talk about the last 12 months what you've been asked to do that that perhaps maybe you hadn't been asked to do before yeah you know first it was out of necessity um just because of the tight lots and so that gave us that forced us to become very fluent in technology like a disappearing pool right that literally becomes a hard surface that's dry at the press of a button um or um, you know, we, everyone knows the concept of a Murphy bed, but I think we've taken that to the nth degree because spaces literally need to fold, collapse and store away. And I think you said it like those are rich design opportunities. I think what it's taught me though, in retrospect is even when we have the luxury of a generous amount of space, there's a sense of coziness and variety that is still worth pulling into even the largest projects, that sense of soulfulness. And yeah, I'll just call it intimacy. Um, one of the other lessons I've learned recently is I feel like most homes understand the distant view, but we've become very obsessed with the short view. So can we, even though there's, there's a neighbor literally three feet away, can we put a 12 inch garden just to create that shallow view um, to kind of fake a depth of field. And so, you know, our, our two other panelists have mentioned it, flexibility, I think was already a major trend. And now I don't even need to convince my clients of it. We, we tend to resist labeling a room with a traditional name and instead look at it through the lens of morning rituals, evening rituals. And in terms of work from home, we like to call it, is it a lean forward experience or is it a lean back experience? And I just feel like variety and flexibility is, is the name of the game for us. It's so, it's so interesting to me because <clears throat> the, the concepts that we're talking about really have changed a, a great deal as, as I see it, especially coming from the media side, right? Because, you know, I know you look at the, you look at the trade publications and it's not a fault, it just kind of is what it is that design had become something that was so purely visual that, you know, you have these, these continual arguments about maximalism versus minimalism. And it's almost like a, well, who really cares? Can we get to functionalism? I just totally made up a word. But I, I feel like that those are the things that we've really been discussing lately, the ideas of incorporating wellness, incorporating air quality, noise abatement, um, technology, but not necessarily all the tech you can see. There are so many different elements that you as creatives have to now take into consideration that are separate from the purely visual aspect of the work. So uh, Elizabeth, I'm, I'm, I'm curious with all of these things that you're now faced with, has it been an issue um, trying to keep up? Is it, is it, do you have the resources that you need? Have the, cause you know how often the resources kind of lag um, desire 
you know, what people figure out if something is, is a trend, it's trending or it's trendy or it's trend over, you know, they're trying to figure out is, is this something worth our time? Is this something worth the budget? So Elizabeth, I'm curious, um, how do you manage all of those different aspects and, and these new requirements that clients put on you? I think I, I first look at function and then classic. I think long, I tend to be a long-term thinker. So, you know, how many clients have I redone their family room and gotten rid of the huge armoire for the huge television that used to sit inside of it? Um, so I try to stay on trend. I do feel like I've developed, you do need to have the vendor resources to be mm -hmm. able to bring these things. I mean, the simplest being, um, what kind of sound do you want in the home? Do you want a smart home? But you have to have those resources in place so that you can make it. But then you also have to assess your client and think about, are they more analog or are they more digital? You know, what, and what hybrid of that are they? Because if you overbuild it for them, they're just frustrated. Um, but I think, I think that's what you're asking me is how, how much do I count on the resources to help develop the interiors of a house? Yeah, it's really important to have somebody who's in each of those arenas kind of at the edge of things. Roxanne, thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I think um, my grandfather, when I was little and uh, he was a pretty well-known silversmith and he would always talk about uh, designing for the particular client. And he did like um, really beautiful contemporary things and usually just one you know, one beautiful piece to be the focal point. And, and I guess um, it kind of relates to focusing on a few like really pure and beautiful things for the client to concentrate on, um, which, which hopefully then the resources that we have, we, we only need a few to come through for a particular project. Um, and I, I have found during this pandemic um, where I know there are tons of logistical problems that I haven't had any until very recently. And wow, it made up for all of the fact that I hadn't had any for 12 months, <laughs> but cause it was a doozy, but um, I, I guess I really like having, um, you know, a really, trusted group, but a smaller group of people um, that will come through for me just because we have those relationships and um, rather than a ton of things going on. And that's especially true in a small space. So. It's interesting because um, years ago, I toured the, uh, the Neutra VDL house here in Silver Lake. Oh yeah. And one of the things that was so interesting to me was how, how Neutra used everything that he had available to him from, you know, putting, putting water outside the windows to give the, the reflective light and, and the, the use of use of space and the feel of space to Dione's room where her bed was this tiny, you know, full-size bed, but it was on a pivot and it swung out from the wall so that you could, you could make it. It was just this, this incredible, use of every square inch. And it wasn't like the home was small to begin with, but her room certainly was small, but every inch of space was used. And I kind of, I'm, I'm sort of running that through my mind now, Anthony, and I'm thinking about what you had said too, the idea of a Murphy bed. You know, my background's in broadcast. And in broadcast, there is this deathly fear of dead air. There's like this fear of dead, like you can't, you can't just can't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta keep talking the whole time because you can't have dead air. And I, I've kind of noticed an equivalent in design, mm -hmm. where is there, there, many people will will say that there's just this. I can't leave a space empty. Mm -hmm. I just can't leave it there. And to th the thought of having a Murphy bed where you could actually put the bed up and I don't know have room for nothing, right? <laughs> have space. For, for nothing more than simply the space right. the, the space itself. And Anthony, with your work, I get the feeling like you don't you don't fear space. No, we if there's an adjective that we use most often, it's the word quiet. We're actually seeking, perhaps it's in response to the craziness we feel around us, spaces that are very calm and quiet. 
um, on my desk right now is a kitchen where all the chairs around the island click into the island and look like it's just a solid rectangle, right? So it's just visually as, as calm as possible. And um, I think it's heightened by small spaces because there's like a self-awareness that's provoked when you become aware of the the, the distance between your shoulder and the wall or your head and the doorway. There's this ergonomic awareness that comes when we recently put a 16 foot tree inside of a small interior entry. And you literally have to duck a little bit under the branches. Most clients would not love it, but ours loves the way that it arrests a guest and she's able to say, well, is not nature art, right? It's, it's her, it's her voice. So Yes, my point is quiet space, I think is something that at least my clients are recognizing the value of. And just to quickly answer your previous question, which I love about keeping up with technology, for me, I feel it's about like peeling away the non-essentials to get to what is the core ritual or lifestyle that we're trying to facilitate in this space. And yes, sometimes it has to do with technology, but most often it, it has to do with functions far more basic. Like where's the light, where's the breeze, you know, what do you look at right before you close your eyes? And those are timeless topics. And when you were talking to Josh about the Neutra house, I, I think I went to that same event and I was, I was looking around at how beautiful it was and there was so few objects out, you know, like there was the built-in bed and, you know, we call it built-in whatever, but I just thought there are so few objects around the house to goop it up as my, my grandpa used to say, but you walk around and you could appreciate the beauty of the wood and the trees outside and the windows. And you just felt like you weren't overwhelmed with stuff everywhere. And I do think that you asked me earlier if things, if anything had changed. I do think the one thing I've noticed that clients really don't want is they're throwing all their junk away and they've all cleaned their houses out and their closets and whatever. And they really want whatever they have in their house. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> is, um, is they want things they love. And so um, they want, you know, one set of dishes, not, three or 10 and they want it to be out so you can see it and clean and they want they want less like clutter in their life and clutter in their house and in their closet and um, I think that's like been a super beautiful thing about the pandemic as everyone's realized we could live on so much less and so much like less consumerism which is strange for us me to say in this business but less consumerism and more like appreciating beauty and you know, just for the sake of, of beauty and um, peace. You are listening to a fun conversation about big design in diminutive spaces. More on that in just a moment. So listen, wallpaper is having a moment, a well-deserved moment that is allowing designers to craft and create in new and amazing ways. Convo by Design has a new partner this year, this partnership includes participation in our Remote Design House Tulsa project, of which you will be hearing a lot about this year. I've been working closely with an exclusive group of partners, and I am absolutely thrilled to be working with York Wall Coverings. This company has been crafting exquisite wall coverings for over a century, with an archive that dates back to the early 18th century. This deeply rich history provides inspiration for the future. And the designs available through the York Wall Covering Studio have long been lauded for their authenticity and craftsmanship. This art, artistry, and history combined with a commitment to continually reimagining the manufacturing process allows York Wall Coverings to provide a consistently exquisite product. For options and inspiration, find them online, yorkwallcoverings.com. You can also find their store locator tool online at yorkwallcoverings.com for a location near you. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about something when the, when everything started and started shutting down as a runner, I was in Manhattan beach oh. <laughs> and I was, I was um, Elizabeth, not, if you're not, since you're not here, Manhattan beach has a strand right on the beach where you can, it's concrete and it's wonderful and you can run for miles. And that's where I would traditionally go and run and train. Mm -hmm. And so when this started, they closed it down immediately. So I found the next ocean, which was the next street up, basically an alley, right? So I started running there. And, you know, it was so amazing, Roxanne, to your point, 
<laughs> I started noticing just the sheer volume of stuff right. on trash day. Yeah. The sheer amount of stuff that was being put out for, for pickup. Yeah. And I started thinking and I was wondering, it's like, are, is this, is this, are people getting rid of this? Are they replacing it? But it turns out in retrospect that the majority of what we saw out there is, is people were purging, just right. starting to go through everything. Yeah. Is, is that a, a part of the process now? And, and I, I don't mean like the design process necessarily. I think design is, is always comes back to life, right? Design is not yeah. separate unto itself because these are, these are dwellings and structures that people live in. So it's, it's part of life. And I'm curious if, if that new purging of stuff, if, you know, we're, we're becoming not necessarily less on consumerism, but more perhaps maybe more intelligent consumerism right. as far as the products um, that are being purchased. A and I'm, and I'm curious, Elizabeth, you know, you're probably, since you're the one who's not, it's like Sesame Street, one of these things doesn't belong here. You're the one who's not in Southern California. I'm curious if you're seeing, uh, if you're seeing something similar. Well, I think purging is definitely going on, but um, you know, we sort of do that anyway, like you said, with the design process, because you do really have to be, well, I, I have a process where I really define function in your house. Each room, I need to know what does this room need to do for you. And then I try to create, if you will, a playground within your house, like every space. Maybe I've given you an unexpected thing that you start using to do English homework with your senior in high school mm -hmm. on a regular basis at the fireplace. Um, but before we start that, it really is getting rid of not just visual clutter, it's also mental clutter, being a better editor about what you permit into your home. Um, you know, I, and I, I will confess to being one of those who you go on target and suddenly you think, oh, I need all this. <laughs> and, and I think, um, no, you don't. But I think that that is dawning on consciousness, especially when you have to sit home and look at it. You can't just go, well, I'll think about that tomorrow, I'll go to the office. Um, I had one client, the husband working from home this whole time. Of course, she's hysterical. She's like, oh my God, he's never <laughs> going to leave the house. <laughs> have to be. He's like, why is the UPS guy here again? Why are the foreign <laughs> guys? She's like, I don't know. Go back to the office. But anyway, we streamlined their living room, totally rethink and made it so it looks like a study, but if he's in there, CNN, you know, the stock market's on, he's on the phone. She even got him a headset that truckers wear to block out the outside noises so the kids could be yelling in the back family room. And what looks very benign when it's in action is very edited, it's talking about getting rid of stuff. We got rid of everything non-essential to him working in the study area now of this large living room. So I think we're better editors of, I hope so. Yeah, sure. It's interesting. I wanna explore that a little bit more, um, the idea of the edit, because I think that there's a little bit more going into this now uh, as far as product selection, specification, um, more, more I, I'm tired of the word green. I think we're all tired of, of green, but but more environmentally sound, you know, and more environmentally conscious, if you will. The fact is, is that now we've we've sort of worked our homes around the vestibule where we get all our Amazon pro products to come in, and now we have this issue with all of this cardboard that now we have to we have to start getting rid of. Which cardboard is is going to become the next major issue? Which means to me. I've always envisioned like designers are our futurists, designers and architects, right? Because you're not necessarily, designers are looking at maybe a 10 to 15 to 20 year span of time. Architects are looking at 50, 75, 150 years as a span of time. There, no, nobody is looking at tomorrow, you know, or next year. So it's one of those things that you really have to take into consideration. And because of that, the, 
ability to specify the products that we that we select and use is it, it's it's changing. Um, we have to be smarter about what we use, so the the products are more limited, even if not less available, less in terms of what you'd want to use. And I am cons I, I am considering all of the ways that you would have to go about and, and think of that. Uh, Anthony, I'm, I'm curious, as it relates to a, an overall build and the products that you're using, is, is this a major concern for you? It is. I, I think that editing is so difficult because it often conflicts with the human desire to avoid loss, right? Loss aversion is challenging. And so my passion in my industry is to select materials that have meaning. I tell my clients right up, we're not picking something because it looks good. That's just not our MO. And when you walk through a space, it's not my goal to have a personality to each room. That's just not the way our studio works. Um, we want to pick materials where we truly understand where it's sourced, what's its history, and more, most importantly, what's its meaning? Why, why is it here? And in an additive sense, it's actually pretty easy. It's much harder when you're editing pre-existing items in a family's home. A quick funny anecdote, a pattern I've been noticing is we will fully stage a home to be for a photo shoot. And it's so much easier for my team to come in, box all their belongings, stage what I want and take a photo because I'm ruthless about that. It's all temporary, but nine times out of 10, the client comes in and they're like, oh my gosh, I would have never had the heart to put away the things I had on that bookshelf for 15 years, but it's not going back, right? <laughs> the, the visual calm is so much more rewarding, but as humans, we all have this, this loss aversion we're trying to avoid. So in an, when, I'm, when I'm specifying items for a new home, it's thrilling, it's easy, no one gives me pushback, meaning is rewarding, but the edit is always challenging. And, you know, there's, maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe it's Marie Kondo we have to thank for the new trend. Yeah. Please no. <laughs> there was one we, there was one great thing when you were asking what are we going to do with cardboard that's our next problem i was googling cardboard one day because i had so many amazon boxes i hate to admit um at the beginning of the pandemic and i found something where somebody had the brilliant idea of um having a charity that takes the you fill the boxes with clothes and you send them to women's shelters all over the country and i thought oh my gosh that's awesome i can clean my closets with nice stuff i didn't send junk and then I could get rid of the boxes. So that was a brilliant, um, you know, use. But I also was going to add on to the, to the part where you guys were talking about, you know, organic, that each, each element of your house is when you're designing an Anthony, you put in something that's meaningful or that has a reason to be in that space. I was um, at the very beginning of the pandemic when we didn't know what was going on. Um, I joined a task force at the lead, um, one of the lead green, I don't remember which one, but we were studying a little bit of the, um, how important it was in hospitals um, in other countries to have a view of the outside and how some hospitals, um, I think it was Sweden or Denmark, where they designed a whole hospital around uh, the views outside and how much uh, better they had in healing uh, from all of the different ailments if they really could look outside. And so then I'm sure you guys heard of all the rooms that they were doing uh, in hospitals here where they made a room like that inside the hospital um, where they actually had a fake view, a big screen of a river or a mountain. And I thought I started incorporating that into a lot of uh, my design, uh, a lot of my clients' homes that had views, but they were not we tried to always have them be the focal point, but I really noticed that I, I mean, I really wanted to make a concerted effort to make the view the most important thing in some of those rooms because of its healing power to look outside. So, you know, it's that's, that really did kind of change our focus that our homes um, can heal us. And I think uh, when the middle of a pandemic, we kind of all realized like how true that really is. It's interesting because for a while there, I, I had gotten to the point where I was just so sick of talking about <laughs> COVID, coronavirus, pandemic. And I started thinking, you know what? We need to get away from, from this. And then it, it kind of, it dawned on me 
that it's not that you want to get away from it. You're just sick of talking about what yeah. it is, <laughs> yeah, but, to, sure. but to talk about how it's affecting Mm. the way we do it. I mean, if you look at the Spanish flu and, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but if you look at the Spanish flu and all of the inventions and all of the new design strategies and, and ideas that came out of that, it was, I mean, it was brilliant. We have, we still use much of that today. Mm. And you talk about Marie Kondo and as irritated as I am by the whole, the whole thing. Hey, look, anytime you you put an artificial number on something and you say, this is how many you get. And, and it's like, okay, okay, wait, no, that yeah. makes no sense to me. But a, another annoyance, I, I realized I'm annoyed all the time. <laughs> years ago, um, years ago, and I know that you could probably relate to this. Everyone was talking about how do we design for millennials? How do we speak to millennials? What is it that millennials want? And how, well, it turns out that millennials were like the perfect group. They were pandemic proof because they were already living in basements. They were already working out with things that they could find around their house. They were already like minimalists to the nth degree. They were already editing. And, and I'm, I'm half tongue in cheek and half completely serious. If you think about it, and this is what I want to ask you about, the millennial idea of, around design was that you pick one thing, right? They went and they got one thing that they would spend their money on, whether it was a watch or a pair of sneakers or a car or a piece of furniture. And they would put a piece of furniture in their space that they absolutely loved. And then they'd go to Target, CB2, you know, restoration. They'd go and and fill in around or they'd find out in the street and fix it up. But the idea was that they would find one thing. And I'm curious is, and Elizabeth, I'll throw this one at you. Is, is the one thing the same as the modern edit? That's kind of a reverse engineer. Um, <laughs> put in one thing, build around it. You know, in, in the interiors, I don't know about you know, with Anthony, I'm sure it's different for architecture, but interiors, I do really try to focus on one, either one point of view. You can have multi layers of task, but, but let's have one point of view, not have multi points of views, which then just kind of confuse the eye. Um, I do try to always, and then it also kind of speaks to what sometimes we call high-low velvet linen um, there's usually one, there's at least one really strong piece in a room that's kind of singing the song and the others join in. So I think it's some tried and true principles that you're really describing. I don't know, just a new take on maybe reverse engineering it. Like they didn't think about the whole, they just thought about the one and then they filled in the rest, you know. Roxanne, does it make it easier? Not easier. Does it make it simpler? to focus a design in a small space around one thing, as opposed to trying to accomplish all of the needs. You know, I mean, look, not that you've ever gotten a client who gives you a laundry list of things that are not probable, not that that's ever happened, but assuming that it, it would happen, um, <laughs> does, it make it, does it make it simpler to design that way? Hmm. You know, I, I guess I, pretty well always start with um, like the focal point um, and kind of go from there. But yes, I have had many of those laundry lists just recently, like, you know, 18 things that are just not all going to happen. Um, but I, I do like having the focal point and, you know, things that can, you know, fall in line with that one thing. Um, just because I, I don't like too many things going on at one time. Um, and I, I have found this year, especially that I have changed a little bit in that I want um, a little bit less is more, um, even if it's a house that's, um, you know, real traditional with lots of different fabrics and everything. Um, so I'm not sure that that actually answered your question, but, um, but I, I think we've always kind of had like a focal point, even though the room might have to do four things like it might have to be an office and a um I mean my my husband was home for he's a dentist and the first um two months he didn't work at all and I my 
work did not slow down. I sort of thought that the two clients that were my biggest clients at the beginning were going to slow down just because nobody knew what was going to happen with the economy. And they were like, oh, no, I paid cash for my house. And I um, <laughs> there were second homes and um, no one slowed down at all. So I, I really did have to like close the door to um, my office while everyone was, you know, out and about. And, you know, each room, it's one focal point really had to to stand on its own. So, I mean, my office was a lot of other things, but boy, it had to really function as my office. So, you know, definitely one thing. And, and Anthony, you know, you and I have, you and I have had conversations similar to, to these before. And, and I know from, from our talks that, you know, around your work, you, you do that, you know, you find, I think it was, it was one of the really small homes in Hermosa where they wanted a pool <laughs> and doggone it if you didn't find a place for it. That's right. And you know, the, the headwind, I love the story because every realtor they talked to, every neighbor, and I'm sure there might've been family members thought they were crazy to design a 1400 square foot home in a neighborhood of Manhattan beach in this case, where there were mansions on all sides right? Like what a, what an upside down investment. Then the pandemic hit and they had a luxurious amount of outdoor space. They had a 40 foot long pool. And I asked them, I said, so how's the pool? How's the yard? Everyone's staying at home. And she said, we use it three times a day. It is, it is the envy of the neighborhood. And it just, this idea of essentialism is key. And I mean, I, I sometimes like to approach it with my clients, just imagining the end from a marketing perspective. If I'm pitching a story to a, a journal, like a shelter magazine, there needs to be a hook, right? And I, I like to tease that out with my clients and say, what's special about this project? Well, it doesn't have AC, it's 1400 square feet and it has a major lap pool. That's what's special about it, right? Let's lean into that. Mm -hmm. I, I think also, I, let's, speaking of leaning in, let's lean into this idea of essentialism um, because for those who, and we bring up this idea, you, you, you look at something so simple like the gym, right? So easy. So I pay my $90 a month. I go to Equinox. There you go. See, I see them. I see the rings. You, but it's, it's very simple, right? You pay your, your money, you go to Equinox, you got your pool, you got your gym, you got your sauna, you got your steam, you got, you have everything that you need. Until it closes. Then what's that? Until it closes. <laughs> Until it closes. <laughs> and then you don't have that anymore. And you start to think in terms of there's no way that I could build a major gym in my home. Mm -hmm. And so I I'm gonna take you through the, the first part of the process, which is when you're talking to your clients and you're saying, well, do you do aerobics? <laughs> okay, so let's take the aerobics studio out. You know, do you use all of the machinery? Mm -hmm. No, we can probably take all of that out you know, do you use, you know, and go through it. It's like, you find out, it's like, well, you, you use probably about five to 10% of what they have available. Yeah. So you don't use it all. So you don't need it all. So what do you really need? And then the client says, well, you know, I need a small space for weights. I need some rings hanging from the, from the ceiling. Uh, I love the, the steam room. I have to have one. I, 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 I'm desperate for a, for a jacuzzi or a hot tub. I could probably do without the pool, perhaps, but I need something like a hot tub. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you have opportunity. I'm curious about the idea of wellness as it relates, because that's really wh where this goes. This is not living per se. This is not you know mandatory in a residential space, but it is mandatory to the individual. So I'm curious your, your approach to this, maybe the edit, maybe the specification process, sort of how you approach this. And I'll go the other way around. Anthony, I'll start, I'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I mean, you've done such a great job like 
imagining, teasing out what's essential to a client with their fitness routine. And so just to riff on that for a minute, we just finished a project where we discovered that uh, the husband, to, to my surprise, was into the hot and cold plunge, right? For him, that was part of his health ritual. And we're like, why don't we just embrace that? Why don't we put two stainless steel containers right right next to another in this micro courtyard that the master bathroom opens out onto and and i get this look like is that allowed i'm like (laughs) that's design that's that's what's exciting about it and what's fun is i don't know maybe maybe it's because everyone here is exposed to not dozens but hundreds of homes but for me it's yes every room is I mean, every home's going to have a view and it's, it's going to be well-proportioned and the open layout, blah, blah, blah. But to have that, that thing that makes it custom, that makes it not a spec build, uh, that's what gets me excited. And so, yes, yes, yes. I love peeling back the layers to discover what is that ritual that we can, or, or piece of culture that we can make tangible that can be utilized. And in this one, it was a micro courtyard off the master bathroom with a hot and cold plunge. And, and that was a lot of fun for us. So I'll throw it back to you, back to the rest of the team. <laughs> before we before we get away from that, I'm I'm just curious as you put this together, having having the the tanks, if you will, is one thing, but then you also have the mechanical. Yes. Um, and you have to find places for the mechanical as well. And as you go through this, is this something that you're fabricating or is this something that you're specifying? So, and that's where I think, at least for me, the architecture becomes both art and engineering uh, and neither are easy. So once we have the concept, we have to fabricate a stainless steel shell with all of the mechanical equipment within the walls of the shell um, because we wanted this pristine reflective look. Uh, Wasn't easy, wasn't cheap, Uh, but they would say it's worth it all day. And so I actually think I'm challenged on both sides all the time, but, but yes, there's the execution can sometimes give me even more uh, heartburn (laughs) than searching for the idea. Uh, And we don't always get it right. We're not perfect, but in that case, it turned out nice. Roxanne to you, essentialism. Uh, I would so love to be in the beginning stages of so many things because you could, have the luxury of, of designing that. I, I've been on the beginning of a, of a lot of um, builds, usually out of the area in Mammoth or um, Newport Beach or some somewhere. But um, I do love that getting to decide up at the up at the front of something or on a remodel. But um, typically we have to use what's existing and then, you know, it, alter it a little bit or um, whatnot. And I, I found that during the last year, um, the most, um, I don't know, the most essential, the most um, noted thing that I did pretty much in every house was make great use of the outdoors. So I have a client on Linda Isle in Newport Beach and they have a beautiful patio and a a tiny little yard, probably very similar to the one Anthony does all the time, but the tiniest little beautiful courtyard. But we really tried to make those spaces places where they could actually go and, you know, sit outside and ordered new patio furniture for everywhere and new fountains for outside and really made those places like kind of a place of meditation in the morning. Because I do think that everybody really realized they needed some some place in their home for contemplation of whatever sort is good for each different client. And that was pretty consistent. I think Um, I ordered a lot of patio furniture at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people moved outside. Yeah. So this is a, this is a perfect transition over to Elizabeth because (laughs) now what we're talking about is one thing but you have the added benefit of not being able to use your outdoor spaces all year long. Don't doubt us. (laughs) No, I, I'm not as as sort of, it was sort of a tease, if you will. I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to how you approach that. Yeah. Well, I was inspired actually by my neighbor who has two little boys, no school and her husband home also. And now I'm not saying midwinter, but, in the cool weather they put up the bistro lights across their whole deck and their patio they kept the fireplace going and they were eating outside it just sort of this adversity kind of pushes you into a willingness 
to enjoy it. Whereas before you would have thought, oh no, you know, but it's like you have permission to enjoy it. And I just, I embrace all that. I'm, you know, just a Midwesterner through and through. And <laughs> you just kind of have to embrace the weather and go for it. Now, winter, winter with the snow, <laughs> Yeah, it, I did eat in one of those fun pods outside of a restaurant. Now, as an architect, that was, you must have got, well, maybe you didn't see those in <laughs> California, but all the restaurants had these, it, I felt like I was in Colorado, little huts or bubbles that you ate in, but the sunshine came in and warmed it up. Um, so I think people in this area do really appreciate their outdoors, but the, I think they were a little more creative. As long as you have some space. I mean, I frankly almost, I love to ice skate and I have these little kids that live next door. I almost had an ice rink put into my backyard just to put up the patio lights and enjoy it and put out the um, fire pit. You know, and those are just kind of essential things. It was, I, don't, I thought it was kind of fun, but I, you know, I like being home. So it didn't really, Me too. Um, winter, I think people get out and walk, I mean, not much you can do to decorate the outdoors. Well, here's the follow-up to that. The follow-up is when when something happens once, it's gen it's generally a fluke, right? Mm -hmm. Twice it's a trend, and three times you can pretty much count on it happening here in Southern California. You know, fire season was not a season; it was when there were wildfires. And it generally happened around the same time, but it didn't happen every single year. It didn't happen with the frequency. Earthquakes, you know, they always they always happen. It is what it is. Um, this idea of a pandemic. We're we're all realists here, and it most likely is going to happen again, mm -hmm. in in some way, shape, or form, or capacity. That does not mean that all of a sudden everyone is gonna start building bigger homes that are bunkered and hunkered down and you've got a year's worth of food supplied and that you've got your built-in gym and that you got, that's not gonna happen, right? The size of homes is, is continuing to, to fall on average in America because people are realizing that they don't necessarily need all that much mm -hmm. space. We're generally, you know, I think what we're going to also see is people moving to new cities and, and new met metropolitan areas, you know, coming up. I think, you know, cities like L.A. aren't going to aren't going to die. L.A., Chicago, New York, it's not like they're going to die. They are absolutely going to change. Mm -hmm. But that being said, the idea of of crafting a small space with big style and and big functionality um, that has to, that has to be part of future consideration, Anthony. No? Yes? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that, and this is, this is a common topic and I welcome it. It's, I think it's like, you know, what, it, what, what are the necessities that this forced on us that we might actually not let go of? Right before starting this conversation, we were talking about the way that Zoom is changing client interactions, perhaps permanently to some degree. And I don't know, for me, I think the one I'll point to is um, just the need for outdoor space. Um, it doesn't have to be massive, doesn't have to be a giant sports court. But but I, I, I love what uh, Roxanne said about the small like reflective or meditative space, just a, a spot to clear your head. Cause there might be a thousand things going on inside and to be able to just step out, I think is, is something that I used to have to fight for in a home, right? Clients would be like, like, why do you want to add so many little courtyards? <laughs> and now I feel like uh, they're finally on my, my side. They, they see it. Uh, and I'm getting uh, a little more courage to push back on the real estate agents who say it could otherwise be conditioned interior space. Yeah. Conditioned interior space that doesn't yeah, sound appealing response. at all that doesn't <laughs> sound appealing i mean i get it i get the concept but it doesn't sound a, a appealing at all um uh elizabeth so curious do you it's almost the idea of designing for disaster <laughs> right 
But again, something that's not very appealing in the way it sounds. <laughs> but is that something that you take into account now? And, and, and I ask specifically for this, for, for this conversation, because if we're talking about a big space, right? Unlimited space, it makes sense. We're gonna have extra storage. We're gonna put in extra refrigeration. So we're gonna put in extra freezers. We're gonna have extra generators. We're gonna have power walls. We're gonna have, I, you see where I'm going with this, right? Where you can just, you can go Logan's run with this whole thing. You can build your whole environment self-contained. <laughs> do, do you like that 70s reference I threw out there? Um, but how, I guess my question is, do you, how do you how do you design for disaster or do you do you do you take it into into account especially when you're balancing that against available space design for disaster yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no sounds like a tv show it does um, i was thinking that right? on HGTV, that's the new series design for disaster <laughs> i think with that a little bit i think what i'm observing which I probably always was this way. I'm a bit of a homebody. Um, people are thinking of my home is my castle. You know, it's like it has everything I need for wellness. You know, like Anthony's client needed, got the plunge pools. He needed that for wellness. But I can stay here and be okay. They don't think of their home as just a place you dash in, change your clothes and dash out to the next event. They're willing to embrace my home is my castle. And so then I think as long as you keep certain parts, you just can't get every room too specific. That's what I think you have to do to allow for eventualities, you know, designed for disaster. It's like, well, this room could become this, you know, kind of in the back of my mind. But I think, frankly, what I did with this client's living room when her husband and four college-age children were at home and she was losing her mind. You know, it was like turned the living room into, it just naturally was divided in half, but one side of the room was more of a music sitting room. One of her children is a music major. And the other side, you know, we've got the trader from Goldman Sachs at work, but if he's not in the room, you don't know that, you know, it doesn't look like that. It just can kind of turn on. and. I think it's just being willing to retumble what goes on inside of a room and not making it so specific that you can't change it. I mean, of course, you know, not to hark back again to the plunge pools, those are very specific, but that was, you couldn't do that to every inch of the courtyard, right? you know? Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, with that, um, I, I want to I thank you all very much for taking the time to participate in this conversation today. You know, I, I have found that these conversations have been so incredibly valuable because the idea of how we design, the essentialism that, that we look at, the, all of the things that we're taking into consideration nowadays, um, I think it's really important. And I think it's really interesting. I think this is a really, really interesting time to be alive, to be in design and architecture, and to see how things are changing so quickly. And in 10 years from now, it's gonna be interesting to look back mm -hmm. and, and see what we actually did learn from this. Um, this was a part of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. Elizabeth, Roxanne, Anthony, thank you all so much for joining me here. And I wanna just say that, um, if you're listening to this and you wanna go see their absolutely incredible and amazing work, I encourage you to do so. You will find links to their website in the show notes for the podcast. So I hope you listen and then I hope you go see it because it's fantastic and you're gonna love it. You guys, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively with respect to interior design, exterior design and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines 
vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Roxanne. Elizabeth and Anthony, you are all fantastic, and I appreciate you so much. For more stories like this, make sure you are subscribing to the podcast. You can find the show everywhere you get your favorite podcasts, but you knew that already. What you might not know is that there are literally hundreds of other episodes for you to binge on right now, so go check them out. Thank you, Thermosol, Article, York Wall Coverings, Franz Wigner, and Moya Living for your partnership and support. You are remarkable partners and amazing allies for the trade. And for that, I thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve, right? Until next week, be well and take today first. 